When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the works of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. May the Lord bless his reading of his word. Uh, thank you, Anne, and thank you, uh, Ruth, for leading us in prayer for Judy. Uh, Please, would we continue to remember Judy as um, she recovers. Um, after the service, uh, there will be tea and coffee as normal, but you're invited up to the Craig Rack Hotel. Yep, that's still happening. Um, 
if you don't know what that is, follow people. And that's where Jenny and Eric uh, have invited us for lunch, for soup lunch up at the Craig Vrack Hotel. So please don't go over to Escape Route. <laughs> no offence, we like Escape Route, but you're invited up there. As Eric from now takes on the, the, ch the wonderful adventure of being completely in control of the Craig Vrack Hotel uh, restaurant, <laughs> not the hotel. Uh, so you're invited there, so I guess half one. Uh, free, come on, free lunch, and you bless someone by eating their food, so it's really good, uh, so that's up there, and magazines are available for people to pick up as well. Shall we pray? Change my heart, O Lord, make it ever true. Change my heart, O Lord, and may I be like you. For your glory, may your kingdom come and your will be done. May your rule be increasingly established among us, within us and out with us, as you've called us to be a city and a hill. May we as disciples follow your way in grace, but obedient as well. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, keep your Bibles open there, but we are going to go to Matthew chapter 7, so if you want to find it out right away. We've been going through the book of Deuteronomy in nine sermons, uh, this is uh, number seven. I'm away next uh, Sunday, I'm taking a few days off to read, uh, to pray, and to sit in front of a wood-burning stove and watch Netflix. <laughs> uh, so Ken's preaching next week, and then We'll finish off Deuteronomy the week after before a couple of guest preachers are going to come. And you know that the new sermon series after Easter, I think it is, is we're going to look at various themes to do with revival. And, uh, and that's all ahead. What, the context of where we are, I, I'm always conscious of people who maybe not been here or that we've got a bad memory. And so forgive me if you know this, but it's still good to put this reading in context, God's people, the Israelites, are uh, in Moab, east of uh, the River Jordan. And they've wandered for 40 years under the leadership of Moses, who brought them out of, the pro out of Egypt into the dream of the Promised Land. They, they were in Egypt because of their forefather, uh, Jacob, who, with his family, 70 in all, went from the famine in Canaan, which is the promised land, and went into Egypt where there were plenty of food. And Joseph, Jacob's son, was a prime minister. So from 70, they turned into a great nation. In fact, they became a nation in slavery because that was their latter experience. And we know the stories and we've seen the films. And, but the Lord heard their cry and brought them out. And so they've wandered for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness and not trusting the Lord. And so the Lord passed judgment as he is allowed to pass judgment because he is the creator and sustainer of all life. That that whole generation, bar some of Caleb and Joshua's family who were faithful and believing that the Lord could take them into the promised land, the others from that generation would die and wonder because of their unfaithfulness, not trusting the Lord. And so now Moses is in his last week of life and he uh, 
produces a number of sermons, maybe, probably three, maybe four sermons. And in the last week of his life, before this new generation, this next gen, who are about to step in under the leadership of Joshua, he reminds them of the covenant law, of what the forefathers promised before the Lord and who the Lord promised he would continue to be to this people group. Not that they were a great people group, there was nothing fantastic about them, but the Lord chose them, which is a bit like our story, who are those of us who are born again. Nothing in our life merited that the Lord would send his son to die on the cross and take the punishment and actually defeat death and sin, but because he was gracious to us. So we've got the same story of, of Israel. And so Moses gives these sermons. And in effect, this is what he is saying, if I was trying to summarize it. The only way to, be relate, to rightly be related to God is to walk by faith and holiness and obedience. The only way to walk with the Lord and be in right relationship with him is to be holy as he is holy and he's called us to be holy. What has the Lord called you to be? Is it to be a plumber, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever? Maybe, but the Lord has called you to be holy as he is holy. And to be obedient, you'll be known as my disciples, Jesus says, if you'll be all that I command. And so, prior to Deuteronomy 30, uh, with Deuteronomy 28 and 29, of course, uh, or 27, 28, first of all, where you'll read a, a list of blessings and curses. And use your imagination where some of the tribe of Israel are in that mountain and some of the tribes of Israel are in that mountain. And when one group of tribes pronounces a blessing, the tribe in the opposite mountain shout amen. And when they shout a curse, the opposite uh, shout amen. And this was a blessing or curses that would befall in God's people if they were obedient or disobedient. And the whole tribe, the whole people of God says, yes, we agree with these covenant principles and values. Um, so you have got wonderful blessings for obedient Israel and you get blood-curdling curses for an apostate Israel. And then in chapter 29, God calls them to this renewed covenant. But he warned them of a future exile because of their unfaithfulness. All of that gets unpacked in chapter 29 of Deuteronomy. So here, very quickly, as a brief summary to, to get to the few verses I want to focus in on. Uh, Moses begins... Uh, by telling Israel to return to the Lord. You, you read that in verse 2. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything that I commanded you. So even though they are going in, they will go out of the blessing of the land, which is a land, I believe, un, uh, for all time. But there are caveats. The land will spew you out as they did the Canaanites if you turn from me. And yet a covenant, I believe, for Israel for all time, but with caveats attached to it. So anyway, so uh, the Lord, as he is faithful, would restore their fortunes. Verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore you to your fortunes and will have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations. Again, God will do that. Have compassion again. How many of us walk daily saying, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, the Jesus prayer. Because we know that he is gracious and he's merciful to us. We don't need to cower if he's going to thump us. 
but we know that we always, well, we tend to wander from the God we love. And we can amass a whole bunch of things that will be uh, a blockage to us in our relationship to God. So we ask for forgiveness. God will compassion and gather you again. Um, the Lord promised that he would bring them into the promised land. You can read about that in verse 5. And he would circumcise their hearts, do something quite significant. And in fact, I believe Moses at this point is prophesying what has happened to us by the Spirit. As the Spirit was let loose, as it were, at Pentecost, among women and men, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, whatever nationality. And the, the Lord's truth and the Lord's word would be in their heart and they would circumcise their heart. But God would curse the enemies, verse 7, and he promised that he would bless them. Let's read that blessing. Uh, verse 8, you will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I have given you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb. The young of your livestock and the crops of your land, the Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul. Because the Lord desires us to be worshippers. First and foremost, even when we come here, we are not consumers. We are worshippers. With anything that we have got in our life, first of all, we should be worshippers and not consumers of that. And we briefly spoke about giving to the Lord last week of our very first and our very best. And we looked at how in Israel there wasn't just one tithe, but there were three tithes throughout the year. But yet we should be given through the overflow of our heart to the Lord, of everything, not the worst, but the best. And the Lord speaks of that here as well. And then he, he reminds them of the commands that they're accessible and doable. And that, that when Anne was reading that, that, I heard that, verse 11 to 14, these things are doable today. They're possible today. I'm merciful and I'm compassionate and I'm going to pour out my spirit today. And you can follow me in spirit and truth today. No matter what anybody says of you, no matter what your story will be tomorrow, today you can do this. It is possible and not an ideology out of reach or like a watermelon seed and you try to get your thumb on it and it slips all the time. It's possible for you to follow the Lord in spirit and in truth with all of your life in his grace and in his mercy. And there was nothing standing in the way of their receiving the blessing that the Lord had in store for them. It kind of takes us up to chapter up to verse 15. And I want to read that just now. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and to destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. 
You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, and I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I listened to a, a, a guy's podcast, in fact, yeah, podcast a, a week or so ago when I was thinking about this. And I can't remember much of the detail. I can just see the image of what he was describing. There is some courthouse in some state in America. And there is a, a, a real uh, strange natural phenomenon that happens that when it rains, uh, they, they can... There's a bit of tolerance in this. But when the rain falls on, say, the left side of the courthouse and goes into the gutters and down, they can track that that water will go via various rivers to the Atlantic, to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Slightly different. And then on the other side of this courthouse, they can, again, goes down the gutters, etc., etc., and they have done some tests to find out that that doesn't go to the Pacific. It goes something down to Florida Keys or something like that. It goes two different ways, depending on how the wind blows. So that was an interesting little image. As I was thinking about this uh, option that you have or we have and Israel have, you had life and prosperity and death and adversity. And there's no middle ground. There is no sitting on the fence and getting scalps. It's either prosperity in life or death and destruction. There isn't a hedging your bets in the middle. There is the choice. Just as the water doesn't just sit in the gully of the gutters, it either goes that way or goes that way and disappears to certain parts in the ocean. They have this choice to love God and to demonstrate that love and making a choice to follow him. And why wouldn't they follow God? Uh, look at what he's done from them. I just wrote some things down here. Brought them out of Egypt from terrible slavery. Brought them out as a people group. Led them through the wilderness. How grateful Jacob uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua must have been that the Lord spared them because of the decision they made as one of uh, two of the 12 uh, spies. They says, we, yes, the people are big. Yeah, the people have got big walls and fortified cities, but the Lord is on our side. You can change that scenario for whatever you're going through. Uh, you know, whatever cares it may be, whatever difficulties that seem insurmountable, Caleb and Joshua were blessed and their families were blessed because they said, no matter what we see, we're seeing it through uh, heavenly eyes. We believe the Lord is, is victorious in this. And so their families were spared. So they, they are 
two groups who, who really knew what God's uh, compassion and mercy were all about as they wandered and saw their peer group die off because of the decision that they made. They were given bread from heaven as they wandered. Uh, in in 29.5, it speaks about neither their clothes nor their shoes over 40 years wore out. They, they couldn't go to H&M or Marks and Sparks, wherever you go. Um, their clothes and their shoes over 40 years did not wear out. God protected them from the enemies. 29.7 speaks of that. And eventually brought them to, the, to their toes were touching the promised land. And, and with the promise that they will enter because God has said, so how could they fail to love the Lord? Moses finally warned them that if they bow down to, to false gods, in verse 17, then they would suffer the consequences. So they've got a, a God who's not capricious, you know, not changing his mind every two minutes. God is up front. This is how I want you to live. This is what I think about you. This is what has happened. This is what is going to happen. And he doesn't keep big secrets. So how could they not love this God? They knew him. They didn't have to go and sacrifice to that uh, God of fertility so that their children would be born or, or to that God of of, of the land or that God of the moon and the hope that those gods would be generous to them because they had the, the creator of heaven and earth who'd revealed himself to Moses, revealed himself to them and the pillar of smoke and fire by day and by night and who had done all of this to, for their daily needs to put bread on their table. God had revealed himself to them and been found to be compassionate, faithful and truthful. How could they not love him? And for us, just that thought of choice that Caleb and Joshua had, that the whole nation had as, as they were about to step into the promised land, our, we, we get choices galore, even in coming here today. Should I get up or should I not get up? Should I have a shower or a bath or go au natural? <laughs> should I wear a shirt and tie? Should I wear a hat or not? Should I drive or walk? Should I come in the front door or the back door? Should I come to prayer at 10 o'clock or not? Should I have a, a time for myself and just being ready for worship so that I bring my best to the Lord? Choices, 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 choices just for this moment. Each day we're confronted some have a little impact, some have significant impact. But then we have a whole different level of choices. Whether we confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord or not. Turn now to Matthew chapter 7 if you would. Very familiar uh, text. And I just want to focus on this for 10 minutes. Verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. These are the words of Jesus. There's no PowerPoint or anything like that today, so I'm, I'm encouraging you to use your imagination. Imagine you are at the fork in the, at the road. You're at a junction. You're at a crossroads. So that's where you need to put yourself as I just talk about these things that Jesus used so graphically. You are at a crossroads with two signs, one pointing to Jesus and one pointing away from Jesus. That is a crossroads presented in Scripture It's part of the good news. How do you decide? How did you decide? To help, we're presented with two gates in this picture that Jesus gives us as he's speaking to the crowds. And first of all, he speaks about a wide gate. Wide gate is easy to enter. Many people choose it. Many people enter through it. And many people enter through it at the same time. And the nice thing about a wide gate is it's a wide gate. For those of us who have been asked from time to time to help with somebody flit, and you're moving, I've had the privilege of moving a piano, I've had the privilege of moving a pool table, uh, and trying to get a pool table or a piano through a doorway, and having to, you know, hope by taking off the door that the piano and the pool table would go through. It is it's difficult, it's a pest. We would much rather have a huge doorway or no doorway at all. But the fact is, many people just like uh, wide gates because they're able to take whatever they want through that wide gate. My mind, at this point, for some reason, goes to uh, is it, um, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Bunyan? Yeah. And, and I, I must admit, I've only ever read the kids' version of that. Um, but it still captured my imagination. And that backpack that he had, and I'm pretty sure at one point the backpack, um, which was the cares of his life and all of that, became detrimental to his life. And at one point had to be left behind. But the fact is, when people consider God and when people consider some of the it seems harsh things that God asks us to do, like take up your cross and follow him and be obedient. And some people just want to bring, we sometimes use the word baggage, but it might just be established beliefs, um, good cares for family, um, whatever it may be. Some of the things that we want to take through the wide gate, we may and society may consider good. And, and, and that's the whole thing about a wide gate. It's very inviting. And, and I would imagine in my mind's eye, it's wide open. It's getting neon lights. It's even got, you know, a wee dispenser for water if you need it to go through, whatever it may be. It's, it's easy. And on our journey, many will want to take as much through as possible. And the wide gate allows that. I think that's where Jesus is going with that. And then he presents us with this narrow gate. The narrow gate that has gotten no space for anything apart from you. Naked and blind I come. 
we sing in one of the songs. So you must leave things behind. Now Jesus commands us to daily pick up a cross and follow him. And Jesus' agenda therefore comes before our agenda. And that's hard. Because some of the beliefs and agenda that we have have come about because we worshipped in various church communities over various times. I was speaking to someone before the service and they were just telling me about how in times gone by the Bible was used in some churches to encourage racism, seeing the black man as less than the white man. Of course it has. And some of the ships, I laughed at this actually and I heard it because I think it's laughable. Some of the slave ships had chaplains on them. So some of the things that maybe we hold fast as being uh, important, even those things could be baggage and could be detrimental from us following Jesus uh, with all heart, mind, soul, and strength according to how he has commanded us to follow his kingdom, his ways, and not our gender or church ways. We often say that, when I now say it, when we come to have communion, this is the Lord's table and it's not the church's table. Because sometimes even our churches and how we want to just corral people and how we want to shepherd people, sometimes um, it's not biblical. Following Jesus leaves no room for um, unforgiveness. Following Jesus leaves no room to be selfish. All of us in this room presently or recently have struggled with unforgiveness. I don't know many people who would stick up their hand and say, I'm not selfish. We are a work in progress. I've got a wee reading from a book I want to read in a minute or two, especially to those of us who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ for many years. What are we truly called to? How will that look to the world? How will that look to our Savior? Will it be pleasing to him? There is lots of challenge to those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ, know the forgiveness of sins and the unfilling of the Holy Spirit. There is many challenges even with a narrow gate for us in our discipleship. How will we follow? How do we understand following Jesus? How will that change us to be salt and light as we are called to be? It's narrow because not many people choose to walk through it. God allows us to choose. Some, make, some people make the choice by doing nothing. But actually when we choose not to decide, we cho choose to go through the wide gate by default. You, there is no middle ground. I'll say that again. There is no sitting in the fence. Jesus is either Lord, lunatic, or a liar, as C.S. Lewis quite cleverly uh, described. And then he speaks about a wide path. So he goes on to two paths, the wide path and then the narrow path. And if we stand 
you know, the gates, then there's a path that then uh, go from those gates. And once we enter, we're either on a narrow path or we're on a wide path. Wide path is the one that's most traveled by most people. Uh, the easy uh, path is, is not. Um, apathy puts people on the wide path. Apathy, apathy towards uh, Jesus, apathy in life, puts people by default on the wide path. The Bible actually describes it in roughly these terms. Um, and this is not, I don't believe this is me putting this down. I think this is a, uh, you're either born again, you're either a child of God, you're either an heir and a co-heir with Christ, a priesthood of all believers, or you're actually part of the kingdom of darkness. And I know many people who by default, because they've chosen, they don't know what to make of Jesus, by default, they're in the wide path, went through the wide gate, and part of the kingdom of darkness, as I, I, I believe I read in Scripture. Harsh realities. But there's lots at stake in this. So that's... Um, the, the wide path that leads to destruction. And Moses says this in, in back in Deuteronomy 13. He says it from 17 and 18. He says, if your, hearts, uh, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and to worship them, we don't have that per se. We don't have little statues in our houses that we religiously bow down to, uh, fertility gods, harvest gods, whatever it may be, gods, pension gods, whatever it may be. But in some respects, we, we don't need the wooden statues. We're bowing down to things that is man-made and not the Lord. So we just need to be careful on that. So if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and to worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you're crossing into the Jordan to, to enter and to, to possess. So the well-traveled, wide path has no rules, no constraints. It's a path that everyone has the right to walk on and everyone has the right to walk in the way in which they feel is the right way to walk. Great injustices of history have been committed in the name of this unchecked, unbridled majority rule. Whatever goes, goes. As, as long as you're nice to one another, whatever, and you don't harm anybody, as long as you're not a murderer or a rapist, it's okay, just live your life. The late American Senator James Reed delivered this speech before American Congress. I, I thought it was great when I read it a while ago. And he said this, the majority crucified Jesus. The majority burned the Christians at the stake. The majority established slavery. The majority jeered when Columbus said the world was round. The majority threw him into a dungeon for having discovered a new world. Jesus always calls us to follow the lifestyle of the minority opinion. Don't be deceived by the loud voice of the majority morality. The majority will encourage you to walk your own path. Jesus calls us to pick up a cross daily and to follow him and be obedient to all he has commanded and he'll be with us always. 
and he has promised us prosperity, but the sort of prosperity that the 11 disciples uh, encouraged, or, or the 11 of the 12. The, most of us want the prosperity of the Apostle John, who died in a, as an old man on an wee island. That sounds to me fantastic, with a beach hut, pina colada, and all of that. The majority of us want that sort of prosperity, but the prosperity that the 11 disciples enjoyed was martyrdom. Stephen preached one sermon and he gets stoned for it, dead. The Lord promises us good things. Some of it we will enjoy here and others for all eternity. And this stuff that we're going through just now is just a blip anyway. You stand at the crossroads, you're looking at the paths, what way are you going to be swayed? Will you take this narrow path? On two occasions in my life, I've, I've done I've three occasions. I did a Camino seven years ago from walk the length of Spain. But on other two occasions, uh, years ago, I did the Highland Cross. It's a, a run in a cycle that crosses the, the top of Scotland. It goes from Glenafric to Bewley. And it's after four miles of running, you climb a thousand feet and you run another 15 miles. And, and then once you've run that 15 miles, you jump on your bike and you cycle 35 miles. And I've done it twice. And I remember there are two definite paths when you run. And the, all the seasons happen because you're way up there in the clouds. And all the seasons happen when you're up there. The only way you get off is by helicopter because there's nothing else. And um, the, eventually you come to a path that they call the yellow brick road. Now this yellow brick road was not, you know, it was a, a sandy color wide path that went on for seven miles. And there was something horrible about it that you knew it was seven miles, <laughs> but there was something good about it that you just switched off and it carried you along. You didn't have to worry about your footing. But I can clearly remember, and I remember falling and gashing my knee and crying, uh, and, but still having to run. I remember the paths that you walked on, or you ran on, that you had to constantly look where your feet were going. And I can remember at one point just looking that sort of distance as I'm running. And there was something like a 200 meter fall. If I was suddenly a wee bit, you'd be off. So you had, on that narrow path, you had to concentrate. You had to look where your feet were going. You had to be aware of everything that was going on. And, and, but that wide path, hard that it was, it still allowed you to switch off and just relax a wee bit. Moses pleaded with God people, God's people and he said this in verse 16. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering. So, so let's be honest. The narrow path is difficult to walk because it takes discipline and desire. Even when I fell, I remember, and I've got a really bad memory, but I remember what I was thinking when I was crying. Joshua Barry was about five, six maybe, and he was waiting at the other side. 
And as I fell and gashed my knee and it was blood and all sorts and still having to run, I was crying thinking of Joshua at the end of the race and I wanted to finish just for Joshua. Honestly, I don't remember a lot of things. I remember that. It demanded desire and discipline because I had to get there. I completed the race in six hours, 30 seconds. My brother-in-law, Kevin, who's with the Lord now, he's a super fit guy. And Kevin finished the run and the, the cycle before I'd even finished the run. He finished in three hours, 26. He was 10th. <laughs> choose the Lord and I want to finish by just reading two things in one wee story I want to read the last part of Deuteronomy 30 uh, and it, Moses says this to this new generation this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you, sorry, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him, cling to him, for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. My son Joshua I spoke about um, will be married in this building on August the 30th, Sunday the August the 30th in the afternoon, to Beth. Um, he will be 21 years of age. He's truly, madly and deeply as much as in love as I was with Miranda when I got married at 23, as much as I knew what love was. They're very chilled about it. I, every now and then I ask Josh, so what's happening? He goes, ah, it's fine. And all the plans are unbelievably chilled and my future daughter-in-law is quite like my wife, so chilled, it'll all be fine. It'll be fine. But typically, when a couple look to get married, and it may have been your experience, they plan for months and sometimes years. The wedding day is the culmination of all those plans and of all of those uh, dreams. The girl dreams to be this beautiful bride all dressed in white you know who gets swept off her feet by this handsome hunk um, and now it's the wedding day and it's you know it's the culmination of all of that but is it really the culmination of it all is it really the beginning i think it's the beginning yeah maybe the culmination of all the plans but the marriage comes after the wedding. Too many couples just plan for the wedding day and not the marriage yet. The wedding day is just the start. And so for this generation who have wandered, who have now heard Moses, who have been covenanted in relationship and married to the Lord, as it were, have now been given the choice, how are you going to remain faithful to me? How are you going to walk with me? And I use graphic language. Will you be a prostitute and whore yourself out? Some of the prophets say that, so I think I'm speaking scripture. And it's a damning indictment to God's people. Or will you walk with me in your knees in faithfulness, trusting in my grace, trusting that I am merciful? 
be blessed. Choose life. And I read this finally. One of my favorite books, Erwin McManus, The Barbarian Way. It will last for about two minutes, this reading. This is to those of us who've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. For those who are still sitting in the fence, this is what I believe being a disciple of Jesus is all about. Do not procrastinate. Do not hesitate. Do not deviate from whatever course of action he calls you to. But I want to warn you, the closer you walk with Jesus, the greater the faith required. The more you trust him, the more you, the more you risk on his behalf. The more you love him, the more you will love others. If you genuinely embrace his sacrifice, you will joyfully embrace a sacrificial life. Your expectations of Jesus will change as your intimacy with him deepens. When you begin to follow passionately after Jesus, you will inadvertently find yourself innovating. After all, Jesus is transforming lives, writing history, creating the future, and unleashing the kingdom of God. If you plan to keep step with Jesus, the pioneer, you better expect some changes. Our civilized faith demands caviar and escarot. Our barbaric faith uh, accepts that we might have to eat fish, eggs, and snails. We look to Jesus not to fulfill our shallow longings or provide for us creature comforts. We look to him to lead us where he, he needs us most and where we can accomplish the most good. And finally, barbarians hear a call different from that of civilized Christians. We understand clearly that we follow the God who chose the way of the cross. If Jesus would not avoid the place of the skull, then we should not be surprised where he might lead us. If even he found himself sweating blood at Gethsemane, then we should be certain we will stand at crisis moments where all we can do after asking for relief is declare, not my will, but yours. In those moments you find very few who stand by you to provide you comfort and strength. And strangely enough, you may find far too many trying to reason with you that God would never require so much of anyone. Yet even with all the noise pounding inside your head, you will still clearly hear the voice of Christ and his barbarian call if you listen carefully enough. I believe the world needs such people. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, that you uh, get us where we are. For those of us who uh, are, are in a place of weakness, of mourning, of longing for something that we can't have that, that is good, Lord, I pray that you would meet those people in that place. For those of us who've been caught short by the, the demands uh, of being a disciple of Christ and we feel guilt, I, I thank you, Lord, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, may we cast all our anxieties and care for you. 
So Lord, may there be a harbor for those who need time off the high seas to be healed and to be restored. And Lord, would you cast the rest of us into where you would have us to be, that we would trust you even though the situation may have big uh, people and fortified cities and numerous people, may we trust you in all of those situations. Father, may we be that city in a hill that you've called us to, that we would know prosperity, but that we would uh, be worshippers of you, the one and true living God, and of Jesus, the seated one who has risen. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my King, my Lord, my Redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen.